All right. We're going to fight the wind a little this morning, but I believe it will I'm, I believe it's going to work. And if my sermon blows away, somebody catch it for me, okay? Kind of need it. All right. So there's a phrase we say a lot in my house that if I actually I should say I say a lot in my house that if I say it will immediately get the biggest eye roll of all time from my husband. When I say, "Did you know they're from Minnesota?" You see, we love here to claim our people, especially when a local resident makes it big. Fill in the blank here with me. Did you know so-and-so is from Minnesota, right? F. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Judy Garland, Lizzo, Bob Dylan, and of course, I'm going to get there. Don't (laughs) worry. And of course, Prince, obviously Prince. We talk about Prince all the time. We love Anytime anyone talks about Prince ever, my husband looks right at me and says, did you know he's from Minnesota? Just the other night at dinner, I was talking about the Olympic gymnastics trials. You know how much I love gymnastics. And yes, I do talk about it at the dinner table like it's an important part of my day. And I talked about how Simone Biles did not take first place for the first time ever. And the girl who did, Suni Lee, did you know she's from Minnesota? We like to claim our people loudly and proudly. So in today's gospel, when Jesus heads to his hometown for a visit, the people there come out to see their hometown boy made good. Did you know he's from here? I mean, who wouldn't, right? They hear him preach and they are astounded, the text said. Isn't this Jesus, they ask each other? These people who watched him preach and teach They saw him in diapers. They watched him grow up. They still know his parents. Nazareth wasn't a huge city, and people there, they knew him. I mean, they practically helped raise him. He was theirs. That Jesus guy, did you know he's from Nazareth? Now, we don't actually know what Jesus preached here in his hometown sermon, but we can make some guesses based on recent sermons from just a few towns over. The kingdom of God is like, he said. He was always talking about expanding and welcoming and growing and taking over this kingdom of God. These are very welcome words if you are on the outside or if you've been oppressed or excluded. And since many of his audiences were just that, he began to gain this notoriety and large crowds gathered to listen to what he had to say. So although we don't know for sure, we can make a guess that he said something similar here. And the people of his hometown are astounded. Isn't this Mary's boy, they say? Now, on its surface, this statement seems like just an innocent question but not quite as it seems. It's a question that reminds Jesus where he came from and who he is. Lineage in these times was traced through men. So to not name a father reminds Jesus and everyone gathered around that he was illegitimate. And then to call him by a profession, carpenter, was another reminder that rabbis were typically made up of the best of the best of the best. And so if you were in trade, then you had left your education to do that work. And so how is it that he has so much wisdom? He's just a carpenter, after all. 
what we might pass by as questions are actually subtle insults. Yes, they're subtle, but they are there. And Jesus sees them for what they are. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, he says. This is another phrase we might pass by in our reading of this text. It's not familiar for most of us. And in fact, most of us assume that means something about respect, right? Prophets don't have any respect in their town. But in fact, honor was something that was a finite resource in a town, particularly a small town like Nazareth. There was actually not enough to go around. If someone gets honor, that means someone else loses it. It's calculated by where you sit at dinner tables and in gatherings. Someone moves up a chair, someone moves down a chair. And if we know one thing for sure about where Jesus and his family fall in the honor rankings in Nazareth, it is pretty far down the list. Isn't this Mary's boy? So Jesus comes in as a rabbi, preaching and teaching with wisdom, and his town does not want to offer him honor. He is once again upsetting the order of things. This is not how it works, Jesus. You don't get to come in here and erase all of your history and take this place of honor at a table. We certainly aren't going to give honor to someone we've already decided isn't worthy. The Greek word here is skandalizo. We get the word scandalized from this word when they say they were offended. Think of it like first century pearl clutching. How dare he? They don't want to listen to what he has to say. It upsets their status quo too much. It's too new. It's too scary. Things work a certain way in Nazareth, and if they let Jesus stay and they claim him and love him and listen to him and give him a place of honor, what happens next? This illegitimate son of a carpenter? No, thank you, Jesus. So he leaves. Jesus leaves his hometown. Now, it's tempting as we read these lessons to think about ourselves like, Jesus, I'm going to my hometown. Here's what it's going to feel like. But, you know, how much I like to point out the places where we're not Jesus, and this is another one, not in this story. It's easy to think we're Jesus when sometimes we feel misunderstood or without a voice in a room full of people who should know us best. I get it. I get the temptation to place ourselves in Jesus' shoes here. But for this story, we are most like the hometown crowd. And this can be very hard to stomach. Because we don't want to be the ones in the story that prevent Jesus from doing anything. We don't want to be the ones who cause him to leave the scene. But this hometown crowd feels familiar because we know, we do know how they feel. We do know how it feels to not want to hear what Jesus has to say. We know how it feels to be scared about changing the way things are. Jesus' hometown can't see him for who he is because, you know, they think they already know him. His story's been written, so they don't want to hear anything more. They don't have to hear anything more. 
Now, I'm not going to speak for any of you here this morning, but I know I am very guilty of this kind of thinking. Author and writer Debbie Thomas, who you all know I love, takes it one step further. She says, the disconcerting truth about this week's gospel is that we are the modern-day equivalent of Jesus' ancient townspeople. We are the ones who think we know Jesus best, the ones jaded by religious overfamiliarity. What would it take for us to follow him into new and uncomfortable territory, to see him where we least desire to look? The uncomfortable fact is Jesus offends Scandalizzo, his beloved community in this story. Maybe if the Jesus we worship never offends us, then it's not really Jesus we're worshiping. Yes, ouch. When was the last time Jesus made you angry by stepping out of the lane you've placed him in? When was the last time he touched whatever it is you call holy, your conservatism, your progressivism, your theology, your denomination, your biblical literacy, your prayer life, your politics, your wokeness, and asked you to look beyond it to find him? This gospel is, at its core, an identity story. Jesus is pushing us, pushing us to consider what and with whom we identify the most. Is it your hometown, your country, your political party, your religion? What if you've already decided what faith is, who Jesus is, and so you don't actually listen what he's saying? Who are you worshiping then? Way back on January 10th, I began my sermon with a condemnation of white Christian nationalism. After watching what had unfolded at the Capitol on January 6th, it wasn't that hard or radical of a stance to take, honestly. But today, on this day, a little harder to say. Today, exactly, almost exactly six months later, on the 4th of July, I think it needs to be said again. Christian nationalism has no place in the church. God does not love America more or America first, and this is not what we believe. Our identity, even on this day, is child of God first. And that means then we see things like our freedom differently. We see that our freedom is fully tied up in the freedom of others, in and outside of the places that raised us. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, You were called to freedom, siblings. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants to one another. This is our call as people of God. We use our freedom to become servants to one another, to willingly bind ourselves to someone else, and to work on behalf of those who are not yet free who do not experience the kind of freedom we do, that kind of freedom is downright scandalizo. It is offensive. 
but the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed that takes over. It's like a God who spreads seed without care for where it lands. The kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, as children of God, our freedom is and always is forever for the sake of. And this, this is what made Jesus walk away from his hometown. They wanted him to be the hometown boy made good. Did you know Jesus is from Nazareth? And instead of telling them what they wanted to hear, Jesus asked them to change the order of things, how honor was given, to shift the status quo, to adjust their old ways of thinking, and to listen and learn, and instead they were offended. So he went elsewhere. He went on, across the lake, to people who were willing to listen, to move, to grow. And really, who can blame him? This is, as people who are the hometown crowd, what we risk too. This is what we risk when we close the door on change in the church. This is what we risk when we keep our imagination small and our worldview narrow. This is what we risk when we're more mad about decorations and hymn choices on this day than we are about tent communities down the street or the ongoing violence done against black and brown bodies or the continued harm this church does to our LGBTQ siblings. All week, as I've sat with this text, I've wondered what Jesus might say if this was his home congregation and he came to visit. We'd be quick to claim him, I'm sure of it. He's for sure Lutheran. We know that, right? That Jesus guy, oh, he's from Prince of Peace. But what would he say when he got here? What would we say after he started talking? I wonder if we'd still claim him then. I wonder what we'd hear, what would offend us. And most of all, I wonder if he'd stay. I ended today's gospel reading at verse 6, with Jesus leaving his hometown. But what happens next is important to this story as well. He sends his disciples out two by two into neighboring towns and villages to preach and teach and heal. It's a reminder that Jesus always, always makes the kingdom bigger, makes the church bigger. And they do it. They go out. This is a reminder that even when we can't or won't or don't want to hear what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God keeps going. When his hometown shut him down, Jesus continued to make the circle wider and the story bigger. And I believe so can we. Amen.
so yes, we have been fed. We have been forgiven for all of the ways we fall short. And for me this week, I reflected a lot on that as I read this gospel. So I needed the forgiveness I received today. I hope you felt it as well. We take our fed, forgiven selves out into the world. We are now sent to go in peace and love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.